It's time for Money for Lunch, where we feed your brain and your business with supersized portions of business and financial news. Now your host, Bert Martinez. Welcome, welcome everybody. Today I'm being joined by Dean Foster. Uh, Dean Foster is the director of Berlitz Cross Cultural. He is an executive strategic consultant for DwellWorks uh, Intercultural. Uh, in addition, host of the Apple Pos podcast, Oops, Your Culture is Showing. He's also written five books on understanding different cultures. Um, Dean Foster, welcome to the show. Good morning, Bert. How are you? I'm glad to be here. You know what? I'm excited to have you here. Uh, we were talking uh, before the show about uh, the, uh, you know, there, there's the, uh, what do you call it? The the ugly American type of, uh, wow. uh, what is it, uh, handle. But really anybody can become, quote, ugly uh, if they don't understand the culture that they're uh, visiting. And, and you know, we open our mouth, we insert, we insert our foot, and, and we show that, um, you know, we, we haven't taken the slightest, uh, would made the slightest effort to understand the culture that we're going to, um, you know, whether it's China or France or, you know, some other place, um, you know, we are blessed to, uh, you know, to have English spoken almost globally. But and then I think that that messes with us. And, and because we speak the same language, therefore, we must be the same. And that's what gets us in trouble. Right. I mean, every U.S. Americans don't have the the ownership of, of being ugly. Right. Anybody who travels anywhere. Um, and certainly if you're traveling for work or for, for business, uh, you can be pretty ugly if you don't understand the culture that you're in. So um, that's true for anyone. I mean, it used to be that U.S. Americans were, were the ones who were the, the ignorant ones walking around the world. But, but that's not the case anymore. And anybody can, can claim to be ugly if you simply don't understand the culture that you're in. And if you're working globally, and everybody today is working globally instantly. If yes. you're working, you're working globally. You're sourcing talent globally. You're looking for new markets globally. So if you're working globally, then you've, you, it, you have a responsibility to understand the culture that you're going into. Uh, there's just no wiggle room for cultural ignorance anymore. And those who get it, those who understand the importance of this, are the ones who will succeed in the 21st century. If you ignore cultural differences and try to work around them or minimize them or deny them, uh, you're just going to keep shooting yourself in the foot. And that's the same foot, by the way, that you put in your mouth, right? So <laughs> when you've made those mistakes. And it's going to cost you more. It's going to have a higher rate of failure. You're going to have a greater frustration. And your teams are going to be feeling and experiencing all of this also. So it's so much easier and faster to work with the facts, understand the culture, and then you just accelerate your success uh, with far less pain and cost. Absolutely. You know, interestingly enough, uh when again, um, I'm talking from my experience here uh, growing up in America. What's interesting is if you look at, let's say, the Native Americans um, who have, uh, for you know, for the most part, uh, had had not want to participate in the American culture. They wanted to keep their culture, which is perfectly understandable. And for the most part, they, uh, uh, you know. Uh, 
they have stayed apart. And I understand that, you know, we, they were placed on reservations, but for the most part, they have, uh, so, you know, elected to kind of keep to themselves. And, and you see them, uh, you see the, the, their culture uh, struggle uh, immensely. And just recently, within the last decade, when they when they have uh, gotten more, uh, what do you call it, uh, uh, involved with the mainstream culture, they have casinos, they have hotels, they have started to prosper. And to me, that's a great example of understanding the culture around you and getting involved versus separating yourself to the point where your culture might be surviving, but it's not thriving. Right. I, I, I think you're making an important point. Uh, you know, we all need to try to follow this roadmap, um, no matter who we are, whether we're uh, first peoples or whether we're newcomers to, to a, a culture. Uh, and we all come to this experience with different privileges. Um, so um, indigenous peoples in most parts of the world don't have the same kind of privileges. Uh, yeah. to learn about other cultures and to be able to assimilate with them. Um, in fact, they're often marginalized. So it makes their their efforts that much more difficult. Um, but for most people, uh, non-Indigenous peoples um, who are working globally, uh, we do have the privilege of being able to understand the culture that we're in and to be invited in, uh, in many cases. And so all the more reason because it is so much easier to, to make that leap and to understand and to work with the culture as it presents itself to you. Because we can, we absolutely need to take that responsibility and do so. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. You know what, and, and again, another example of this idea of working globally, uh, if you look at, um, if you look at, let's say, uh, corporate America, Corporate America now has become more diverse than ever. Uh, you know, the, the CEO may be from a different culture. Uh, you're, you know, in your department, there may be multiple different cultures. And yes, even though uh, you're working together and, and maybe you might be based here in the U.S., it's still nice to be able to understand some of the holidays, some of the nuances, some of the do's and don'ts, if you will, uh, when you're working in, in such a, you know, in, in, a, in a diverse workplace. Absolutely. And, you know, this dynamic is, is two ways, three ways, five ways, right? So um, you might have, uh, let, let's take an example, you know, my friend Ahmed from Saudi. Um, well, he's a typical Saudi when he works in Saudi because he understands Saudi culture. That's where he was born. That was uh, what he grew up with. But Ahmed also spent his summers uh, at his father's flat in London. Uh, Ahmed went to UCLA and got his advanced degree in California. Um, Ahmed certainly is speaking global English. And so Ahmed, yes, he's Saudi and he behaves in a Saudi way when he's in, in, in Riyadh and working with his colleagues. But he also understands how to work with U.S. Americans and with Britons and with many other people around the world because that's been his experience. Um, folks who've had those kind of diverse cultural experiences are, are talented and skilled in being able to style shift from one culture to another because they understand the, how many different cultures work. 
I think U.S. Americans didn't, don't, for the most part, have that experience. And so it becomes really incumbent on us or anybody to learn about the culture that you are, in fact, going to be working with, no matter who they are. Yes. And, and, I, and you know what? And it makes sense. Again, uh, it's great to, uh, what do you call it? Remember your culture. We're not saying, hey, you got to set aside your own culture. But I do agree with you that no matter where you're at, you you need to understand the people and what's going on so you don't, I don't know, embarrass yourself, uh, you know, step over a line that uh, that is a cultural no-no there that may not be a cultural no-no here. Uh, all those things that come into play that, you know, we hear about it, you know, in the news. Uh, sometimes a politician will do something. And, and, it, and, it be, and it makes global headlines or, right. or, or uh, an executive, again, will do something and it makes global headlines. It's, uh, it's become so important because, as you said, we are global, whether you're a company of one or a company of 1,000, we have become a global society. Yeah, good point. You know, and it's not just about making it easy for yourself or, or just not doing the wrong thing. It's really about doing the right thing so that you can accelerate your success. Um, I'm not so concerned about being the nice guy. I want to be the right guy. You know, I want to get the business. And the way to do that is to understand how your colleagues are thinking, what they expect of you at the meeting, um, how they would like to make decisions. Uh, the, the list goes on and on about how we can perceive our business relationship in different ways, how we negotiate with each other and um, and the expectations that we have about uh, s something as simple as running a meeting can be very, very different. If you walk in without this understanding, you're kind of walking through the dark. Yeah. But let's talk about that. Uh, I like this idea, something as, as simple as running a meeting or, you know, whether it's a live meeting or even a, a conference call. But let's talk about in a in a in a meeting setting. Uh, have you found based on your experience that it makes a difference where people sit and things of that nature? Talk about this. Yeah, absolutely. Now, in some cultures, it doesn't. Uh, in the U.S., you know, you can walk into a, a meeting room and everybody walks in and sort of takes the seat that they feel most comfortable with. Usually right. the first person to walk in sets the tone and wherever they sit, then everybody sits around them. Uh, but in many other cultures, I would say cultures that are more formal and, and you can look at cultures and you can line them up really on these different scales. One of these scales is formality versus informality. In many formal cultures, Exactly what you do, where you sit, when you walk into a room, who do you greet first? Who is allowed to greet different people first and second and third? Who talks first? And the roles that people have, what do I talk about if this is my role and if I'm sitting opposite so-and-so? So all of these things are prescribed. And for example, if I'm in China and I walk into a meeting room, I do not take a seat. I do not assume that I can make that decision. I'll stand at the door of the room and wait for my, my Chinese colleague to come to me and show me where he would like me to sit. This is really important because in China, typically, traditionally, we organize ourselves at the table in a hierarchy. And the key person usually sits in the middle opposite the key person of the other side and then each key person is flanked in descending order of importance 
from wow. number one person on the right, number two person on the left, number three person on the right, number four person on the left. And the number one person usually can only speak to number one person on the other side. Number two can speak to number two. Number five cannot speak to number one, the key man. They have to speak to number five. Now, I'm outlining a very traditional Chinese way of doing things. Of course, once you build relationships with your associates, these differences kind of fade away. But certainly, if you're meeting your Chinese colleagues for the very first time, and you're in China, and you've never had a meeting before, and you have no information that it's going to be any different, I would always assume to do it in a Chinese traditional way, unless I get information to the contrary. Right. And that and that means wait to be told where to sit. One of the interesting things is that if you're told to sit way at the end of the table, that's an indication of what your Chinese colleagues think about your importance of being there. And the least important seat at the table actually is the one furthest from the middle, closest to the door usually. And the idea being that if you're closest to the door and we lose you and you happen to slip out, well, it's not that much of a loss because you weren't a very important person anyway. You were really there to hold the papers or a briefcase or, you know, get drinks, you know. Take notes. <laughs> Take notes. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know what? And, and a lot of people don't know this, uh, but, uh, you know, example, the White House, the White House has a team of etiquette. Uh, etiquette people, protocol uh, specialists that will tell the president, this is how we do things in China or in this country or whatever is expected. And and again, uh, there's a counterpart, a protocol, uh, somebody who's in, who's familiar with American protocol, who's going to advise, let's say, the, the Chinese uh, president or prime minister or whatever his exact title is, dictator, whatever, you know, and, and so to hopefully avoid these global faux pas, right? Well, yes. I mean, all governments, uh, I, I wouldn't say all governments. I, I don't know about all governments, but most governments okay. have some sort of protocol officer. Um, I know that in the U.S., the State Department does a terrific job of offering this kind of information to anybody in the government who wants it. The problem is that you can't really control what politicians choose to do. And a lot of politicians simply ignore the fact that we have this information available to them and they just go off and do their own thing anyway. And uh, and if they make a mistake, they make a mistake. And if they don't, they try to cover uh, then then OK. Right. But um, so the information is there. You know, people like myself and many others uh, have written the books and and provide this information. The question is, do politicians actually care to care to hear about it? Right, right. You know, that's, but not just politicians. I mean, sometimes, you know, again, you might have a, a CEO who is, um, let's say, uh, doesn't care for whatever reason. He's too big. He's too famous uh, to, to, you know, care. And so therefore he uh, shows up and, and then he wonders why his counterpart didn't take him seriously or uh, why they're not doing business or the deal didn't get done. It's because, uh, that CEO at that, you know, uh, not knowing the culture offended uh, his counterpart. Right. You know, a lot of folks um, in the cultures that you're going to be working in, they understand that you're different and they understand that you may not know the things, the way to do things in their culture. And 
you do often go into these cultures with a privilege um, of being given some slack for this. Right. But up to a point, right. you know, after a while, the expectation is, come on, guys, this, this, you're doing, you're behaving in ways that don't work here. And you really should understand that and, and get over it. Right. And, and find, find out how we like to do things. So if you can do that ahead of time, you really have a great advantage. And, uh, and, and people tend to sometimes overlook or minimize the importance of this, uh, but you do so at a great, um, at a great cost because you can lose that deal if you make too many of these mistakes. Absolutely. You know what? And so I want to talk about this. So, so we talked a little bit about China and obviously you gave a, a, an example of a, a very formal uh, conference um, let's talk a little bit about maybe some of the negotiating styles. You mentioned uh, Ahmed, uh, and so maybe uh, from Saudi Arabia, you know, let's maybe talk about some other cultures, uh, negotiating styles, because, you know, one of the things that I've noticed uh, growing up here in the good old U.S. of A. is that we want to get it done now. We're, we're about negotiating now. Right. And, you know, uh, Dean, what, what deal can you and I get done right now? As opposed to, I know there's a lot of cultures who are like, you know, their, their idea of negotiation could take weeks. So, so get, maybe give us a little insight about different negotiation styles. Sure. Well, one of the things I think that you're talking about here is a really important issue, which is, do you go for the deal or do you go for the relationship? Mm. A lot of cultures sit down at the negotiation table, particularly if, if you're new to the negotiation, if you, if you don't know each other. And the goal is to develop trust and to develop a trusting relationship or a relationship that's based on the satisfaction of mutual obligations that we have with each other. And now that's very different from here's a great deal. Here's the reason why we should sign the paper and make this happen. And in the U.S., we often go for the task. And once we complete the task, once we do the deal, if the deal works out, that justifies building the relationship. But in many other cultures, like China, you build the relationship first and that justifies going on with the deal. Sure. Now, how different how different cultures build those relationships, how they test each other for trust, how they um, find out if it's if you're someone worthy of doing business with. This is a process. It's often a, been described as a dance, and it can take a long time. And oftentimes the U.S. American perceives this whole thing as a kind of a waste of time. Right. And there's often a lot of socializing that goes along with it. There's a lot of uh, social etiquette. There's a lot of personal ties that get built, sometimes inappropriately, at least as we U.S. Americans perceive it. Um, why are you asking me to do you favors to get your son into a U.S. medical school? Uh, why are you asking about um, my family? Uh, this has nothing to do with the deal on the table. Um, why are you asking me questions that are testing my trustworthiness? Uh, these can be uncomfortable situations for U.S. Americans and certainly unexpected, uh, and they can take a long time. Uh, but you really 
need a strategy for managing this because you can't avoid it. You can't not do the dance because you're never going to get to the deal unless you do the dance. Right. Well, you know what? And, and here's the deal. This is what's so interesting. Uh, again, there is a great American saying, right, that we like to do business with people that we know, like, and trust. And, and obviously, that's global. That's a global set of emotions. It only makes sense that somebody wants to do business with people that they know, like, and trust. And and how do you get to know, like, and trust somebody? Well, you got to build a relationship. And, you know, in some cases, the relationship really is the most important part because uh, we've all, at least in America, we've all had deals that maybe have gone bad, but because there was a relationship there, nobody took it personally. And they, and they go on to do a deal maybe next year or two years down the road. Uh, and, and again, from, you know, from listening to you, it sounds like, again, if it, you know, that, that some of these other cultures really want to establish the relationship of no like and trust before we even talk about business. Because if, if I can't trust you, everything else is not going to happen. Exactly. Exactly. We're, we're really not that different. It's about where do we put our initial priority? Is it about the deal or is it about building the, the trust? Right. And I think in the U.S., it's more about we build trust by having a successful deal. Yes. But in places like Mexico, in much of Latin America, in much of Asia, in much of Africa, we actually build the trust first independent of the deal that's on the table. And that's done through social relationships and this long testing period. The dance. Uh, the dance, right. <laughs> I like that, the dance. And, and so just for everybody, uh, you, know, uh, you know, you've written five books. We were talking before the show. You've written five books. Um, and, and quickly kind of give us, um, you know, uh, the, the uh, I guess a little bit of background about those, uh, about those five books because – uh, I think that some of our audience members may want to go out there and, and check these books out. So talk about your right. Sure. Well, my first book is Bargaining Across Borders, and that uh, was published by McGraw-Hill. And it's all about how different cultures negotiate differently, what they expect at the table and how they like to get things done. And if you go in with a strategy based on how they like to get things done, this book will outline what those strategies should be. And so uh, it's really good about negotiating style differences. And then my four books about the global etiquette guides, one for Europe, one for Asia, one for Latin America, and one for the Middle East and Africa. These are books that'll tell you all the important do's and don'ts of each of those regions. So how to dress, how, what to expect at the, at, the, at, a, at a restaurant, how to dine, um, what are the roles of bosses and subordinates, of older and younger, of different generations? Um, how, do, how do we manage a team? How do we manage a project? All of the things that are affected by culture that you need to know when you work country by country, chapter by chapter in each of those books will outline all of that per country in each of those regions. So it together, they make up a great guide for working globally, everything you need to know. I like it. I like it. Yeah. Uh, you know, the uh, uh, listening to you about, uh, you know, uh, the Middle East and, and even Africa as well, you know, I guess specifically the Middle East. Here's a country 
that has been at war, you know, parts of it have been at war or skirmish or whatever uh, ever since I was young. And, and sometimes... And, and before that, I'm sure. <laughs> and a lot of these skirmishes and wars, if you will, have to do about, uh, you know, pride, but because somebody stepped on somebody's toes and all of a sudden it becomes a turf war, right? You just... You disrespected me, and therefore now I have to, uh, you know, shoot you or whatever. But, you know, again, back to what you were talking about at the very beginning, there are some cultures that are very formal, very, very hierarchical and, and very formal until you get to that place of trust. And, you know, again, the Middle East seems like one of those places as well, right? It most definitely is. Uh, these are cultures where you have to establish your trust in order to be able to be taken seriously uh, and, and in order to do business there. Yes. And and the way you do that in the Middle East is going to be different from the way you do that in India or China or Latin America. But these are all what I would like to refer to as trust-focused cultures as opposed to deal-focused cultures. Right. Now, you know, once you've established that relationship, then the deals happen pretty quickly. The problem is at the beginning when U.S. Americans walk in there expecting to to get the paper signed and get the deal done without the trust. It never happens. Right. Right. Absolutely. Uh, you know what? And that's why I think when you look at some of these deals uh, that get done poorly or sometimes it, when deals don't get done, uh, again, I'm going to pick on on our on our uh, good folks there in the U.S. government. You know, one of the things that I remember reading an article, this is like 20 years ago. I read this article where uh, they gave the example that, you know, when the when the U.S. and China come to uh, uh, sit down at the table, uh, the U.S. will rent out a you know, uh, will rent out several hotel rooms for, let's say, three or four days. And the Chinese will rent rooms for three or four weeks because, right. you know, they're there to do the dance first to build that relationship. And then they're going to say the last three or four days of those three or four weeks to, to hammer out the deal where the U S counterpart is, Hey, we're, you know, we're the U S so, you know, we're trustworthy. Let's just get the deal done so we can go on to something else. And, and, and that's to me is one of those uh, examples of not understanding who you're sitting across from. Right. One of the tactical questions that the Chinese often ask when you first sit down at the table with them is, how long are you here for? And one of the best responses to that question is to sit back and take your watch off and put it in your pocket Ooh. and say, I'm here for as long as it takes. And that sends the signal to the Chinese that you are there to build this relationship. And whether or not you have a return ticket home for a particular date, right? Indicate nevertheless that you're there for as long as it takes. Yes. I like that. I like that. Taking a watch and putting it in your pocket. I think it's very symbolic of, uh, Hey, I got all the time in the world. You know, we're here to, to get to know each other and, and you're not in a hurry. So that, that's kind of a neat little, uh, what do you call it? Uh, symbolic movement there. Now it's a, it's a it's a tactic, admittedly, right? Okay, all right. So so is that a a a, a known tactic there in China? I mean, if, if somebody does that, they understand what's going on. 
Absolutely. Gotcha. Gotcha. All right. So uh, if somebody needed help and they wanted to contact you, uh, maybe as a speaker, maybe as a consultant, where do they go? Where is the website for them to find out more about you? Oh, that's easy. That's DeanFosterGlobal.com. DeanFosterGlobal.com. Again, we are a global a global society for the most part, right? Dean, DeanFosterGlobal.com. That's great. Uh, Dean, it's been a pleasure getting to know you and uh, sitting down with some of these strategies. Uh, it just, you know, if, if somebody is thinking about going to do business in China or in other parts of Europe, they probably need to go to Amazon, check out your books and, uh, and, and maybe even call you depending on the size and scope of the deal, because it's very, very um, possible that a misstep could cause you a tremendous amount of um, money, if not uh, a tremendous amount of time. Absolutely. And we've got tactics and strategies for all cultures. So give us a call, check us out, and we'll, we're there to help. Great. Dean, thank you so much for stopping by today. Hey, Bert, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. You bet. Good stuff there from Dean Foster, deanfosterglobal.com. And you can find out his uh, his books there at uh, Amazon as well. They're all good books. Uh, I'll put a I'll put a link here in the show notes. But I just love the few things that Dean taught us today can make a world of a difference when you're talking to somebody from a different culture. And there's no excuse. One of the things that Dean and I were talking about before the show is that there's no excuse for us today with technology literally in our fingertips. Uh, there's no excuse for not figuring out. A little bit about their culture and just being prepared. So, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for stopping by and sharing. As always, please share this episode with everyone you know. Thank you so much. Tune in Monday through Friday here on Money for Lunch and check out our website at moneyforlunch.com. <laughs>